0: Boy, I I love hearing what Michael's doing. What a great story. And it's, I, I, I wonder how many people I'm just not even aware of and part of Brookside who are out serving people like Michael. That uh, just blesses me. I uh, think of all the people at track camp uh, this week. Uh, boy, be praying, you know, every day for them that uh, God will just work through their lives in a... You know, just a wonderful grace-filled way, and uh, bring help and encouragement uh, to the uh, to the students that they're that they're working with, the kids uh, who are part of that. Well, good morning. Uh, it's so much fun for me to be able to be up here again preaching. It's uh, been a few weeks. Uh, several weeks ago, I had cataract surgery, and um, and I got to tell you, it's uh, it's pretty awesome when something can turn out totally great. And uh, it was a hundred percent success. So, uh, the way my uh, doctor did the surgery described it. Uh, when they uh, tested my eyes afterwards, and I, I now have like 2015 vision. And before, he said we had a word for you. You know, they put that eye chart up, and to read the letters, he said you're you're we called who, someone who we called had wall vision. All you could see was the wall. And uh, that, that was that was um that was my life and now I'm seeing things I swear that I don't think I've seen in a long time you even with my glasses so uh, Becky's like getting tired of me telling her you see that leaf over there like three blocks away and, and uh but uh, um but it it takes a while so it was like getting they did one eye first and then they did the other one and and, and so you you get a little like discombobulated for a period of time in fact i had a a friend of mine, you've all heard of like Gallup uh, finders, strength finders tests. And so I, I've taken that. But he said, I've got another personality assessment test I'd like you to take. And, and I made the mistake of taking it when I had only one eye done. And so it's like, you know, and, and the test got rejected uh, when it was all done. He said it was unreliable. So I, I think they were kind of thinking, like, who is this guy really taking this test? You know, I don't know. But anyway, um, Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's um, my privilege to be able to finish up this eight-week series that we've been doing in the prophets by looking at what uh, one of the prophets, the, in fact, the very last prophet in the Old Testament, prophet Malachi, what he wrote down as the, as the Spirit of God led him, what he wrote down about marriage. And we're going to be looking at this, this morning one of the strongest statements. In fact, it might even be the strongest statement God made in Scripture about marriage. And and doing this, we're going to see the huge value that God places on on faithfulness to the person that you you marry. And by faithfulness, I'm not saying just clench your fist and have a bad marriage the rest of your life. I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm saying do what it takes to have a God-honoring and a joy-filled marriage. And I what I'm talking about this morning, I believe so deeply, and everything in me wants to be as passionate as God was when He hundreds of years before He said He said what He's what He said through through the Prophet Malachi that we're gonna, we're gonna be looking at in a few minutes. So man, I believe this one, and I think you're gonna you're gonna feel it. But before I begin, I, I think that there's two important things that need to be said, okay? So <clears throat> first of all, when When I talk about never giving up on your marriage, I'm not talking about you staying in an abusive marriage where you're the punching bag for someone else's uh, physical or verbal abuse. And and you gotta hear me on this. If that's where you're at today, your health and your safety takes priority. So it's, it's not only right for you to separate yourself from your spouse, it's what you've gotta do for your own survival. And and then if your spouse is willing, both of you get the counseling that you need, just on on this the whole matter that you're dealing with in your marriage, and then and then begin to work on on the rest of the parts of your marriage. And I would just, say, if that's where you're at this morning, if that's your life, and I am, unfortunately, pretty confident that there's probably more than one couple here this morning dealing with that. Let us know and. Um, Contact us, Tim Weeby, and we can help, you know, provide the help that you need. So first of all that, and then second, if you had a marriage, if you're here today and you had a marriage that ended, I I don't want you to hear what I'm saying today, and the whole time you're just sitting with this, you know, huge amount of guilt inside of yourself as you hear me talk, because really... um, If this is what you've gone through in your own life, the chances are that you've already felt felt a huge amount of regret and guilt in your life. And I mean, either you did everything you could to make your marriage work, but your spouse wasn't willing to do anything, and your marriage ended, and it was devastating to you, and, and I've had enough conversations with people who've gone through this that you still blame yourself, and you still feel guilt, Yourself, And so I don't want you to be feeling that this morning. Or if you and I could talk, you might say, you know what, Steve, looking back on, on the marriage that I had that failed, I've I got to tell you, Steve, I did a lot of things that were wrong. I wish I'd done so many things differently, and I carry the weight of what I did and what I didn't do that I should have done. I've carried that weight for a very long time or maybe a short period of time, you would, you would say that. And same thing, all right? Um, I want to be helpful this morning for all of us. So for our purposes, we're going, to look f- we're going to look from this day forward. From this day forward, no matter what happened in the past, this day forward, what I'm talking about is we're never going to give up on our marriage. We're going to, we're going to do what it takes to be faithful to the person that we, that we married. Well, Time Magazine timed it well for me uh, with a feature article on marriage that they did on June uh, 16. I love this statement in the first page of that article. How to stay married? That was the, the, what the article was about. And then this little statement that they made staying married is more challenging than ever. But then they said this, but new data says it's worth it. I just love it every time uh, scripture gets validated now it's like you know god knew god knew a long time ago that it's worth it you know and we're just now secular society is just figuring that out that it's that it's worth it well there's a, a, an article there's a great article by the way and it quotes from a number of different experts on marriage and one of those individuals is a man by the name of Carl Pillmer he's a gerontologist at Cornell University that did a very intensive survey of 700 elderly people for a book that he wrote, which I actually wrote the title down um, in your service program, I recommend it, 30 Lessons for, for Loving. And, and this is what he writes. I guess you probably all read it already, right? Um, new, new evidence keeps piling up that few things are as good for life, limb, and liquidity as staying married. Couples who made it all the way later into life have found it to be a peak experience, a sublime experience to be together. Everybody 100% said that the long marriage was the best thing in their lives. I just love that. The long marriage was the best thing in their lives. And then they added this, but all of them also either said that marriage is hard or that it's really, really hard. Um, now here's here's what they mean by hard, okay? I don't see that th- th- this isn't a negative thing that they're talking about with the word hard. Like, Ooh, it's just so hard. That's not what they're what they're saying. I believe what they're saying is what every major study shows on, on marriage, that marriage goes through peaks and downturns. Anybody, anybody understand what that anybody ever go through that kind of experience peaks and downturns in your marriage in fact you know what almost without exception the first peak is at two years I was with some people on Friday evening and there was one couple I'd, I had forgotten that they'd been married less than two years and I was telling them about that and you should have seen the look on their faces all, like oh no what's gonna happen you know um, so almost without exception you, you have this, everything's going on, the up and up, and then at around two years you hit something, whatever it might be, and it's suddenly like you're, whoa, what's going on here? You know, did we make a mistake even? You know, kind of, you know, that kind of a deal. And, and the reality is what can happen in two years can happen again. I mean, it just, it just does. It just does. That's the way it is. So what should you do? knowing that that's the way it's going to be. they are going to have peaks and you're going to have valleys. Well, I'm, I'm convinced, ask the 700 couples that Pillimer uh, did that survey with, and they would say this, they would say, hang in there, you know? Persevere and work through what, what's making things go down right now. Do this, and, and I'll guarantee you it's going to get better. The line's going to keep going up, and your marriage will grow stronger and stronger. Now, Beck and I, married in college back in 1972. So this year, this December 22nd will be 44 years that we've been married. And I can tell you, you could ask Becky, both of us would would agree 100%, totally agree with those 700 couples about marriage, that your love grows deeper, it gets stronger. I mean, I look back, I think, when I think about, you know, telling Becky that I loved her when we first got married, when I say it now, it's just got a whole lot more depth to it and a whole lot more meaning to it. And we're convinced this is possible for every marriage. Every single marriage. We know that it all depends on what each person is willing to do. To fulfill the vows that they made the day They were married, their willingness to invest in the relationship that they have with the person they're married to, the willingness to persevere through hard times, working working through every issue that you face to be faithful to each other for the rest of your lives, which is exactly the message God gave to the people of Israel through the Old Testament prophet Malachi. Malachi which for some of you might be surprising a prophet i mean one of those wild bearded guys in the old testament saying something about marriage you, you mean it's i mean you think of them as men who confronted israel with the sin of idolatry or hypocrisy or oppression or corruption or greed but but really it's not surprising that they would also speak to the whole issue of marriage because one of the big ways that the people of Israel were disobedient to God was what, what they did with their, with their marriages. And so they needed to hear from God on that as well. Well, Malachi is uh, easy to find. If you've got your Bible or your phone or whatever you're going to use to find, find the Scripture, uh, it's the very last book in the Old Testament. And the set of verses we're going to look at, just four verses, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. And if um, you read the book of Malachi, you'll find out that God is confronting the Israelites for all the different ways that they're violating the covenant that they had made with him, their their relationship with him. And it's in the context of this that God confronts them for violating the covenant that they made to each other in their marriage. And so uh, we read this beginning in verse 13. So it's been a whole bunch of stuff they've been doing wrong. And so God speaking through Malachi, he said, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You, you weep and wail because he no, no, no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Why is God, why is God doing this? And the answer is because the Lord is the witness between you And the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. It's not the one God made you. You belong to him in body and spirit. And and, and what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Because the man who divorces his wife does violence to the one that he should protect. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. God speaking to the Men of Israel, because in the culture of of that day, they're the ones who held the power. And instead of using the power that was theirs to serve and care for their wives, they were doing the very opposite. They misused it by abusing their wives and discarding them and divorcing them on whim. (laughs) These were the people we're supposed to show the world a, a better way, but inst- instead they were they were no different from the culture around them, and and they were so arrogant that they couldn't understand why God refused to accept their offerings. Today's world, it's like someone who claims to be a follower of Christ, but instead of loving and caring for their husband or wife, they're Choosing to be unloving and unfaithful and yet yet Sunday after Sunday they they go through the motions of worship. They they sing the songs, they participate in the prayers, all the while deceiving themselves into thinking that it means something to God. Choosing to ignore what I think is one of the most serious things any person could ever hear from God. What God said to the men of Israel who were cruel and unfaithful to their wives. in verse 14, he, in fact, he said it twice, and in another verse, verse 6, he said, you ask why? Why, God? Why aren't you accepting our offerings? And God said, it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. <laughs> Here's the deal with this. Everyone else might accept what they've done, what they're doing, and God's saying he never will. You know, i got to tell you, in my, in my 40 years of being a pastor, I've, I've heard this far too many times where, where somebody, uh, a, a man or a woman, divorces the person that they're married to for no good reason. They just they, they have an affair or get involved with somebody else, whatever the reason is, and, and, and they've said it right to my face. Steve, you know what? People are upset with me now. They're mad at me now for leaving my wife, or leaving my husband. But I'll tell you what, they're going to get over it. They're, they'll accept it, Steve, and life will go on like it never happened. I've heard that too many times. And unfortunately, they've been right about this too many times. Friends and family who were upset by what they did finally did accept it, and, and life did go on as if it never happened. <laughs> But what that person forgets or chooses to ignore is that God was witness to everything they said and, and everything they did, and, and, and God, God doesn't get over it. It's never okay with God. God never accepts it. With God, life doesn't go on as if it never happened. And so I look at that, I look at this passage, and what it says to me and what it really should say to all of us is that we've got to remember when we consider how willing we are to invest in our own marriage, we've got to remember this, that faithfulness in your marriage matters to God. It matters to God. It, it matters to the creator of this universe. It matters to the God who gave you life, who gives you every breath that you take. It matters to the God who someday you will stand before and give an account Of the life you've lived. And how you treated the person you're married to. So this is what we're called to. To be faithful to the vows you made. The day you were married. Friends. This is profoundly valuable to God. Again. By by faithfulness, I'm not saying just clench your fist and have a bad marriage the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying do what it takes to have a God honoring and a joy filled marriage. It's faithfulness at its best. So, how do you do this? What do you do to be faithful to the person you're married to? This is what I love about Scripture God answers our questions. And it's, we're to do what God told the Israelites to do, which he said in only four words. So so you might have missed it. It's it's this statement in in the last sentence of verse 15 where, again, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. And then he said, so be on your guard. (laughs) Um, God's saying, Everything in you, everything in you, guard the sacred covenant you made to each other before me. And so I'll say it this way. For, this, is our, this is our application, our takeaway. Guard your marriage with, with all of your heart. Guard your marriage, protect it with everything in you that you've got. So what I'd like to do in the time remaining is give, give all of us four, four ways to do this, four ways to guard our marriages. And the first one is this, guard God's number one place in your life. I've told you this before, if you've heard me talk about marriage, but it always, it's worth repeating. When Beck and I got married back in college, uh, Pastor married us, still a dear friend of ours, Richard Hess, and uh, we had one premarital session with him, which I wouldn't recommend, just one, but that's what we did. And uh, and But Becky and I have never forgotten what he told us. Uh, that, that I mean, it just makes all the difference. It's made all the difference in our marriage. He said, what you've got to do is you've got to make Jesus number one priority in your relationship, in your marriage. And, and very, he did a very simple thing. He took a piece of paper. He drew a triangle. Tri- on, triangle on it. And he wrote Jesus at the top and he wrote Becky's name on one corner, my name on the other corner. And he said as you focus your lives on Jesus, the closer you grow to him, the more in love you are with him, the more in love you'll be with each other. And he just said, he just moved our names up, you know. And the closer to the top of the triangle, you, triangle, the closer you get to each other. He so what that did for Becky and myself at the very beginning of our marriage, it helped us understand that the number one purpose of our marriage, is not all about us. It's not all about how happy and how fulfilled we are. I just think that is just a fundamental thing that everybody's got to get into their minds about their marriage. It's, it's what makes the difference between marriage for the short term and marriage for the long, for, for all of life. When you understand it's not, about, it's not about you, it's about God. It's what you can do together as a couple to bring honor to God, to love God, and to serve God. And it just makes all the difference in the world. All the difference. Yeah. And I can tell you, <laughs> After 44 years of marriage, Becky and I are so grateful that we have sought to live our lives that way. I mean, and, and the beautiful thing about it is that's what gives you joy and that's what gives you fulfillment as you put Jesus Christ first. And ask both of us what's given us the strength of the toughest of times in our life, and we'll say without doubt it's, it's the strength of our relationship that each one of us have. With Jesus, with Jesus. The thing you've all got to know, everybody, is that the only thing that this has happened for, the only way this has happened for Becky and me is the personal discipline we each have had in our time in and our time in prayer every day. I mean, it's just been a discipline in our, in our lives. For me, it's in the morning, and for Becky, it's in, in the evening. And, and let me just add this, all right? Don't be thinking to yourself right now, well, yeah, he's a pastor and she's a pastor's wife. And so, you know, it's easier for them to do that. I am as human as everybody, okay? And, and so is Becky. We've had to work at that discipline. We've had to say to ourselves on a, almost like a daily basis this is, this is something we, I've got to do, it's absolutely essential. And that's why, really, you know, we're doing uh, this 365 journey this year where we're, we're reading through the Bible. Uh, everybody keep remembering, more important than reading through the Bible this year is reading it every day, okay? you got to let God speak to you every day, okay? let me get <clears throat> Second thing, you got to guard your spouse's number two place in your life. Jesus, number one but then your spouse number two. Not your children, not your work, not your hobbies, not your favorite sports. Can I, can I just give my personal opinion about something on this with, with kids? What I see too many married couples make the mistake is that during the child-rearing years, their kids have all the focus. They just dominate everything. And I see couples that they, they just, their focus is on their kids for, for all of those years that their kids are home. And then their kids leave and they look at each other and like they're, they're looking at a stranger. okay? Because they've been so engrossed with their kids, so obsessed with their kids. And I mean, I'll just talk real practically here. I think that's one reason why kids need to go to bed earlier. And not stay up with you until the time, you you know, until the minute you go to bed. I mean, you've got to have some time to, for each other alone. I mean, it's, it's, it's just not rocket science, okay? So, by, by this then what I'm talking about is first, guard the well-being of your wife, of your husband. Their physical well-being, their emotional, and their spiritual well-being. And men, listen up here. Read what God says about marriage in Ephesians in that fourth chapter, and you'll see that you and I as men were to take the lead in this. I mean, look at the statement. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It was, it was to us husbands that God said this. Again, it's always fun to, every time the experts validate what God said in scripture. So that article in Time Magazine was fun reading this. you love this. It's great. One of the most controversial ideas. I love this. Controversial ideas therapists are now suggesting is that men need to do more of the emotional labor in a relationship. The work that goes into sustaining love, which usually falls to women. Do I hear any like, amen? Okay. I don't know. I'm just, okay. And then, and then he finished by saying, what men do in a relationship is, is by, by a large margin, the crucial factor that separates a great relationship from a failed one. Wow. That sink in, right? Let that sink in. Second thing, then, is guard your time together. And I'm just, this isn't rocket science. But it's true, when you don't spend time together, it's those little bits of shorthand communication between the two of you that suffer. The shared concerns, the inside jokes, the way you both become attuned to each other's feelings. When you lose that, any one of those, it it creates a distance between you, a distance you both feel in your hearts. No doubt about it. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be those times when life gets so busy, when when your time together gets squeezed. That's a that's a normal part of life. But what I'm going to tell you is, don't let those times become the norm for extended periods of time. Now I've I know I've shared this with you at least once, just for my my own life. Uh, Beck and I graduated from seminary when we were 25. We uh, Greg was born right after, uh, in July 22nd, this month, uh, really a couple months after we uh, became a pastor, I, and a uh, brand new church in this small community of about 2,000 people, and, and 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 things right away from the very beginning were going well, and, and we were getting to meet people in the community. In fact, I I look back on it now, and it's just, I guess how God leads, but I ended up doing a lot of marriage counseling back then, and... And so a lot of good happening, and I was going, going, going. It was like evening after evening, I would go, come home, work during the day in the office, come home, have dinner, and then be around for a little bit, and then take off for another evening to meet with another couple or whatever. And Becky never complained. She was so supportive. I mean, how can you say no to helping other people, right? (laughs) But let me tell you, she was missing me being with her and Greg. And this was so much the pattern in my life back then that Greg is this little three-year-old boy knew my routine. And so he knew that when I got up after we had dinner and and I'd spent some time playing with him for a little bit, but he knew that when I got up to get my shoes, he knew exactly what was going to happen, that I was headed out for another evening. And I'll never forget that time when he saw me going from my shoes and he was ahead of me and he grabbed them and he ran with them because he didn't want me to go. And I can see the look on Becky's face. <laughs> you know that look, guys, right? Like, well, yeah. You know, right? Yeah. Time. Oh, it's so important. I had a, somebody older than me, in his 70s, come up to me after first service today, and he said, Steve, you know, part of that time thing, it's just the peace and joy that comes with just sitting next to each other for an evening. And maybe you don't even say a lot, but it's just a presence to be together. just, just wonderful. And then the next thing is guard respect and trust in your relationship. And what i'm talking about is what you've got to guard when you experience something that's inevitable in every marriage when you disagree with each other okay and it can be it can happen this can happen over minor disagreements but it can really happen where you're both convinced you're right and that the other person's wrong and what i mean by convinced i mean like really convinced okay and when the issue is not a small deal to either one of you but it's a very big deal you know what i'm talking about right Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Just want to make sure. When this happens, everybody, everything in you has got to guard against doing everything it takes to win. Okay? Victory at all costs. Things like derogatory remarks about the other person. Put downs that hurt deeply. Dismissing each other's concerns without a fair hearing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Constant interruptions where you're not listening to each other. Angry accusations and then prolonged silence. You know, I got to tell you, every one of those shows contempt toward the other person and if it's done enough times if you do those enough times it destroys trust and respect and it will eventually destroy your marriage and your relationship in the 12th chapter of romans paul made a statement that i i think one of the best statements on how to respect and build respect and trust in your relationship with your husband with your wife it's it's one to live by in every situation you find yourself but especially in those times When you're at odds with each other and you're disagreeing over something that really is very important to you, you, it makes all the difference. Paul said this, so simple. He said, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. (laughs) Add that to those times you're at odds with each other, and I guarantee you, (laughs) it makes all the difference. The last one is this, guard your Purity. You know what, everybody, in, in, in my 40 years as a pastor, I've, I've performed many marriages. I've done a whole lot of, of, of marriage counseling, and i got to tell you, I cannot think of anyone, I cannot think of anyone who planned to betray their spouse by an affair or an emotional attachment or an addiction to, to pornography. No one would ever say that they plan for any one of these to happen, at least no one that we respect. But you know what? Statistics tell us that up to 75% of people get themselves entangled in at least one of these behaviors at some point after they're married. 75%. How's it possible? How's it possible that no one seems to plan to do any one of these things that they know that will destroy their marriage, and yet a majority of people end up doing one or more of them? How's it possible? Well, I think Craig Rochelle gives the best answer in a book on marriage he wrote with his wife, and I've also listed that in in your service program. Great book to read. Um, This is what he said, how it happens. Most people don't seem to realize that the gap between the right thing to do and doing it is filled with quicksand. Instead of building a firm, solid bridge through a shared commitment to daily purity and faithfulness to one another, a lot of people think they can find their own way across the divide. And then, with each step they take, they sink a little deeper into a soggy, stinking swamp. And then one day they go under and lose their sense of of direction. And then he said this, they forgot that each little step they took toward their own pleasure was a step away from holiness of their marriage. Each text, each flirty conversation, each website, each mouse click, each sensual fantasy. That's right. So what do we do? What should we do? Well, I'd say the first thing is to get solidly in your mind how important sexual purity is to God. See, our culture says it's no big deal. We've got to understand God says it's a really big deal. And it's stated so clearly in verses like this. First of all, from Hebrews chapter 13, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral or what's written for us in the book of Ephesians this statement God said among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity for of this you can be sure no immoral impure person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God Now, yeah. yeah. no one deceive you don't let anybody in culture deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Gotta remember, everybody, every, compromise you, every compromising step you take isn't only poison in your marriage, it's toxin to your relationship with God. You might think you're getting away with it, but you're not. It creates distance between you and God. I mean, a horrible distance, and God will ultimately hold you accountable. Second thing, everybody, is, and we got to be practical about this, we got to know what we're up against. You know what we're up against today that we weren't up against when I was a kid growing up or when I was a young husband? What we're up against is the easy availability of every kind of temptation through social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or or Instagram. You, You know what? Extramarital affairs often begin what might seem like a harmless exchange online. Whether it's an innocent following someone on Twitter or running into an old flame on Facebook, I've heard that story way too many times, or looking at pictures on Instagram, if you take the bait, what starts as a back-and-forth online rarely stops there. Eventually, you end up taking it private. I mean, no doubt about it, really. Smartphones and laptops are two of temptation's biggest game changers. It's just they, they just make it way too convenient, way too easy to get involved in things we shouldn't get involved with. Take people down every day. So what should you do about this? Well, I'll do what Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians where he, he said this, and I could just feel his passion. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul doesn't say flirt with it. He doesn't even say walk away from it. He says run from it. Run as fast as you can. Get away from it. Point is, everybody, we know ourselves, don't we? We know what our weaknesses are. And so we got to have the courage, you know, to find solutions now when we're strong, when you're strong, while you're committed to living a life of purity that will honor God and honor your spouse. You can't wait until you're, like, in it. you got to be intentional to think ahead. And uh, so I want to give you some examples. I think Rochelle was really good with this in his book, and he just gave some examples. And Never be alone with someone of the opposite sex. Monitor all internet activity, activity with accountability software. And to help you with that, have accountability partners. Have locks and restrictions on your phone. I mean, saying, if you need this, you got to do this, uh, 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 goes on. Have, web, have a web browser installed that filters what sites you can get to. Share your Facebook account with your spouse. Share computer phone and phone passwords with your spouse. i got to tell you, there isn't a thing in my life that Becky couldn't look into. Okay? She has total access to everything. And that's the way it's got to be between husbands and wife in their relationship. You never hide things or never work to hide things from the person you're married to. Remember, everybody. Nobody drifts into holiness. You don't drift into holiness. You have to be intentional about doing what it takes to live a holy and God-honoring life. This This is as true for our marriages as it is for every other part, every other area of our lives. What I'm talking about this morning is one reason why I believe so much in small groups. You know? As a couple, it is so important to do life together with a group of people who will support you in your marriage, who will come alongside you when you're struggling, will help answer the questions that you're you're asking. I mean, it just can make all the difference. In fact, when I think of serving God in ways that impacts people, I put being a, a community group, a small group leader right at the top. I just... And so, unashamedly, I'm going to say this thing, okay? If you're interested in serving as a leader of a small group, there is a group leader application available on our homepage, on our website. I don't want to lose the moment to tell you that because I believe small groups are so important to the success of marriages if those small groups are done the right way. So let me ask you, what is so important to remember? In everything that you say and do in your marriage, what is it? Faithfulness in your marriage, what? Matters to God. Okay, let's say it. Faithfulness in my marriage, say it with me. Faithfulness in my marriage matters to God. And this being true with all of my heart, I will guard my huh? Let's say it. With all my heart, I will guard my marriage. Okay. Uh, Rob found this song that we think captures so well the beauty of lifelong marriages. Okay? And uh, so let's Listen to this, and then I'm going to come back and, and pray with you, okay? <clears throat> hey, when I see that, I, I go to myself, boy, <clears throat> Beck and I have just got to take dancing lessons, you know? <laughs> if you've ever been to a wedding that Beck and I have been at, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's so sad. But anyway, um, let me say just a few things. One, if you're here today and you have done everything you can to make your marriage great, but the person you're married to just didn't want to, and you have persevered all these years, and it's been hard, I just want you to know God is witness. This isn't me telling you. It's from God Himself, from Malachi. God is witness to every word you have spoken and everything you have done in loving and caring for that person. And God will reward you. He really will. Or if you're here today and, um, like my dad, because my mom was so physically disabled, their life could never be normal. And I saw my dad loving my mother and caring for her year after year after year. If that's been your experience as a husband or wife, just want you to know God is witness to everything you're saying and everything you do for that person. God's witness. And you're honoring him. And he loves you. He's so grateful. If you're here today, and you, you would say, Steve, our marriage isn't what it should be. And in all honesty, Steve, I'm the one that's making it that way. I, I'm the one who's making our marriage hard. I just want to give you a moment right now to begin a conversation with God where you just get gut-level honest and, and confess to God what you've been doing and ask God to give you the strength to make it right. So we're going we're gonna to have a moment of silence, and then I'm going to close our time in prayer. But then I would say this. When you pray that prayer, ask God to give you the strength when you get home today to have a conversation with your husband or your wife and confess what you've been doing, that it's wrong. And then the two of you, let us know we want to help, okay? Okay? So I just want to give you a moment to pray.